So as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which they will be done by Dave. Matthew, Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I am here today uh, to help us know the three steps we need to take for failure. Now, I know oftentimes you can find in TED Talks or, you know, out in different seminars on YouTube, you can find all the keys to success. People have written about how to uh, gain finances, how to win friends, how to do all these different things that lead to success in life. But you know what? Not enough people are talking about how to fail. So we're going to cover that here today and now. I will give one path to success at the end as well. Spoiler alert, by the way, it is Jesus. Um, Jesus is the answer. He is the path to success, the path to life. And so you can just write that in there. Uh, we'll get to that. But, you know, what we've been doing through these last three weeks and into today, we, we've been focusing on Jesus in the last week of his life. And so we have been in a series called The Passion, where we are looking at the Passion Week, which is the last week of Jesus' life. And so we're seeing all these examples of who Jesus is and what he has done and, and, and really demonstrating what he has done for us and preparing our hearts for the resurrection for Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection together. And so we looked at, three weeks ago, we looked at, at Jesus' triumphal entry. That would happen on what is known as Palm Sunday, which would be today in the church calendar. Today is Palm Sunday. And we saw that Jesus came and he was declared king and he was declared Messiah, the, the, the promised one, the one they'd been waiting for. And while these things are true, he also demonstrated that their view of King and Messiah might have been a little bit off. That he was also the Lamb of God who would give himself as a sacrifice for the world. And then we looked at Jesus' anger as he entered Jerusalem. He entered the temple and he began to flip over tables and, and cleanse the temple. But we saw really that he didn't just come to cleanse the temple. He came to cleanse the world of sin. And last week we looked at the sorrow and the grief that Jesus experienced as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to face the cross where he knew he would bear the cup of God's wrath for us so that we could receive the cup of life. And yet in doing so, in this great moment of pain, in this great moment of hurt, of anguish, he cried out, Father, not as I will, but your will be done. And he demonstrated perfect submission to us. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit and, and we're going to take a, a look away from the, the main character, which is Jesus, and we're going to look at, let's just call him a supporting actor in the person of Peter. Because while, of course, we want to model our lives after Christ and we want to be like Christ and we want to know Christ, we also need to realize that oftentimes we're the person standing on the side. And we need to realize that 
when left to our own ways, we are going to fail in ways as Peter did. And so hopefully we'll see how Peter failed and we'll see really how maybe we can guard our hearts against that. Or if you want, we can find out just how to fail and we can make sure that we do that well together as well. Um, Peter, we saw in the passage we just read, we saw this denial. And if you know the story, you know that this is really the ultimate failure on Peter's part in his relationship with Christ. And we see at the very end of it that he's going out and he's weeping bitterly because he knows how deep he has failed. So let's dive in and see how he got to this point. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at a few different moments of Peter's interactions with Jesus and how he slowly took these steps towards denial and towards a bitter weeping, realizing his failure. So number one, if you want to fail, be prideful. Be prideful. Make it all about you, right? You are the greatest person in the world. You are the smartest person in the world. You are the best looking person in the world. You are the most wise person in the world. You know everything. Now, I know some of you are nudging your spouse and you're saying, see, he told me that this is true, right? Uh, but, but if you want to fail, be prideful. Just assume that you know what's best and assume that Jesus' words about you probably are not correct. See, this is what we see with Peter. And so before he denies Christ, we have this interaction with him that happens in what's known as the Last Supper. And it's where we get communion, which we'll participate in together. It comes during the Passover Supper. And so there's a lot of things that are pointing back and fulfilling promises from the Old Testament. But then there's also a lot of promises that we're looking forward to as Jesus takes the bread and says, this is my body. He takes the cup and says, this is my blood. And he says, this is going to be a time of remembrance for me. And so he's pointing ahead to what he's going to do as he's pointing back to what happened in the Old Testament saying, I'm fulfilling things and I've got new promises and new things in store for you. And then he has this interaction with Peter and the other disciples. It says in verse 36 or 31, sorry. Then Jesus told him this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now that's a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. And so again, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm fulfilling prophecy. I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now this really probably should have been the moment the disciples focused on. Here's Jesus talking about how he's going to die, how they're gonna scatter. But then he says, by the way, I'm coming back. I'm going to be risen again, and I'm going to meet you again in Galilee. He says, our relationship is not going to be done. Our time together is not going to be done. I'll be restored, and we'll be back together again. But instead of focusing on the hope and the promise, they instead focused on the moment where he said, you all will be scattered. Here's your failure. So instead of looking at his success, Jesus' success, they focused on him calling out their failures and said, no, no, no. That can't be right. So it says that Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You know, I used to look at this, this moment and read the story as an example of a time where Peter said the right thing, did the noble thing, the honorable thing, even if he was wrong about where he was ultimately going to end up. Because I saw this as Peter trying in a way to comfort Jesus, trying to say, no, there's no way that I would ever deny you. There's no way that I would fall away. Jesus, I would die for you. 
I mean, that feels very comforting if a friend, a loved one comes and says, listen, I'll never leave you. I would die for you. It sounds comforting. But what we actually see in this passage is there's this moment of disbelief from Peter. There's a lack of trust here. Jesus is saying, here's something that is true about you. Here's something that's true about the disciples. And Peter's saying, nah, not true of me. Maybe the rest of these guys, but there's no way I would. He's saying, I don't believe what you're saying about me. Now, the correct response here actually would have been for Peter to say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I can't imagine that I would do such a thing. I feel like I would be willing to die for you, but I trust your words. Just give me the strength to overcome my weakness. Give me the strength to do what you've called me to do. Help me so that I don't fail, so that I don't fall away, so that I can be a comfort, so that I can be present with you. Give me the strength because apparently I can't do it on my own. That's how Peter should have responded. But instead, he chooses disbelief. Instead, he chooses a lack of trust. Instead, he chooses to put himself and his ideas of himself over the words of God. And this can happen for Christians. In our spiritual walk, there are times where we think that we we keep too low of a view of God's word and too high of a view of ourselves. You know, I was challenged this week thinking about this passage and thinking about ways that I have done this in my life. As a matter of fact, I had one of these uh, sort of come to Jesus moments last night where I was getting some work done and I'm working on things and it's just, it's just a busy time around the church and I've got a lot of things that I need to do and so I've got a lot of work to do. And so even like at the beginning of this week, I talked to my wife and I was like, hey, uh, babe, like I have a lot to do. Like just so you know, like Friday and Saturday, they're probably gonna be work days. Um, I'm gonna have to spend time each of those days getting some work done, getting some stuff done. Like that's just what I have to do. And so I'm kind of going over the message last night and just making sure it stays fresh. And, and as I'm reading these words and I'm thinking about Peter's pride and the way he said, oh, that's not true for me. Uh, I'm thinking about places in scripture, like in Exodus, where it talks about how we are all called to have a Sabbath. We're all called to, to do our work in six days and have a day of worship and rest. And, and I'm literally thinking about this and, and, and preparing this idea as I'm working throughout my possible day off saying, you know, God, I, I hear your words and, and I hear that, that there's a need for a Sabbath, but, but maybe you didn't know how busy I was going to be this week. Like maybe you didn't know all the things that I needed to get done. And, and what I really was saying is, you know what? I don't really need a Sabbath. I don't really need a day of rest because I can do this on my own strength. I can survive just kind of working through this and, and, and not taking a break today. I was doing the same thing as Peter. I'm saying, I hear your words, but it's not true of me. I've done this with my finances before. For years, I struggled with tithing, where I believed that tithing was good. I believed that it was something that that God called us to do. But I looked at my finances and said, well, I can't do that. It was one of those moments where I was like, hey, God, if you want me to tithe, you need to give me more money. (laughs) Not the correct response, by the way. And so for years, I struggled with this. And it was about, I don't know, 12 years ago that, that I came to a point where I was saying, hey, you know what? I have not been faithful in my tithing because I've not been faithful to place myself under the word of God and trust that he will provide in the way that he says he will. 
And so finally, there was this moment where, where God said, hey, Ryan, you need to trust me with your finances. You need to trust me with all of your life. I'm going to be honest that there's one that, that is really easy to kind of fail to put ourselves under. And, you know, the Bible tells us that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when it talks about neighbor, it basically is anyone we come in contact with. It's any other person. It's any other person made in the image of God, which is all people. And so the Bible calls us to love everybody always. And that's really easy to, to, to talk about. It's really easy to think about, especially when I'm thinking about close friends and family and people that I really like. But then it's like, well, what if my neighbor's really annoying? What if they're rude to me? You know, and I'm going to be honest, there's some places in my life where maybe I have uh, one, okay, I'll just, I'll just be honest. Uh, so specifically, like it, with, with sports, there are times where with sports, where I've said, hey, I'm a Christian, except when it comes to sports. And I'm like, this is, it's fine because it's sports, so I can do the things I want to do. I'm, I'm a soccer coach. And, and early on in my soccer coaching career, I struggled because I did the same thing that most coaches do, which is I saw a ref and I knew that the ref was my enemy. They stood for everything that I was against, right? And, and so I just felt like I could treat them however I wanted to treat them. I could say whatever I wanted to say about them because in my mind, I was saying, yeah, God, you call us to love all people, but the ref got the call wrong. Like, clearly, if you wanted me to love him, you would have given him more, more wisdom so that he would have gotten the call right. And so I do this, and this is kind of a funny way, but we do this all the time, right? And so often, like, we, we do this on social media. We're like, hey, as long as I'm behind a keyboard, it doesn't matter what I say. I don't have to love my neighbor behind my keyboard. I don't have to love someone I've never interacted with. And can we be honest? One of the biggest ways this happens is in politics, I don't have to love someone from the other political party. God, their policies are evil. So I'm allowed to hate them. I'm allowed to belittle them. I'm allowed to dehumanize them. I'm allowed to say whatever I want about them. And I think God is going up there going, really? Because I died for my enemies. But sure, you go ahead and do your thing. Now we need to place ourselves under the word of God, fully submitting to his plan for our lives. And yes, it's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be hard many times. But we have to trust that God's way is right. That God's way is worth it. And so when we live in pride, then we quickly take the second step of failure, which is to distance ourselves from God. If you want to fail, keep God at a distance. This is what Peter began to do. Right at this moment of pride, we see another example where he thinks, I can do this on my own. God, you stay over there. I got this. As a matter of fact, it's in the passage we read last week in verse 40 of Matthew 26. Jesus is praying. He's invited Peter, James, and John to come and pray with him. And it says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're giving up on prayer? You're giving up on a relationship with God? You need prayer. You need to press into relationship right now. Things are getting tough. You need more of God. You need more time with him. He's saying, listen, here's what prayer does, right? Watch and pray. Prayer gives us correct perspective. He says, pray so that you won't fall into temptation because prayer resources us against the attacks of the enemy. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer gives us strength. And what we do as Christians is sometimes we think, yeah, I'll pray, I'll read my Bible, I'll come to worship, 
I'll spend quiet time with God as long as nothing else is going on. But I mean, if I get up in the morning and I'm tired, I'm just going back to bed, I'll spend time with God tomorrow. If I get up and I decide, you know what, I'd rather work out instead, God will be there eventually. I'll get to him at some point. I'm not going to pray because I got this on my own. I can do this on my own strength. I'm capable. I'm fine. I'm not going to come to worship because there's something, there's a, there's a football game on or I want to go bake something or, you know, I just want to get away for a little bit. And we start doing this where we start pushing God away because he's not convenient for us. But there's another way that we keep God at a distance and Peter did it here. See, Jesus is arrested and he's going before the courts. And it says in verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So Peter literally kept Jesus at a distance. Why? Because things were getting difficult. Things were getting challenging. Jesus was facing trial. Jesus is going to the cross and Peter thought, you know what? This is getting a little too messy. It's getting a little too challenging. And so he began to push Jesus away rather than pulling into that relationship. He began to keep him at a distance rather than pursuing intimacy. And the reality is, is that we live in a Western American culture that more and more is looking down upon the Christian faith. It's becoming harder and harder to be a follower of Christ because there are more and more people who will tell you that it's just made up, that it's hateful, that it's all these different things. And so there are times where we as Christians, we think, hey, you know, I'm going to go into a space and, and I'm just going to act the way they do. I'm going to live like them. I'm going to be like them. I'm going to talk like them. I'm going to sound like them. I'm going to think like them. I'm just going to do everything they do. And that way, no one will be offended. And in doing that, what we're doing is we're keeping God at a distance. We're saying, hey, stay at church. I'll come see you at church. But outside of this place, I need to be seen as something else. And so if you want to fail in your relationship, keep God at a distance. Keep him at a distance. Because then what happens if we live into pride, if we keep God at a distance, then the third part becomes really easy, which is to deny, deny, deny. We deny the existence of God. We deny his power, his strength. We deny his presence in our life. And we deny that we are following him. And this is what Peter did as well. It says in verse 69 that Peter was, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl, let me read that again, a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. See, here's an example where, where Peter is afraid of a servant girl. He's denying the power of Christ to the powerless around him. And the truth we should see here is not that we should deny Jesus to the powerful people in our world, but it's to understand that every person in this world is powerless in comparison to Christ. Every person in this world is like the servant girl in that culture at that time. They have no power over our souls. They have no power over our eternities. And yet here Peter is saying, I never knew him because he's afraid of the powerless. It says, then he went out into the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. 
And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of, one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And so here, Peter is with every strength that he can find, saying with every fiber of my being, I don't know the man. I swear on everything that I can. I don't know him. I have no relationship with him. I'm not associated with him. And in the most powerful way possible, Peter denies Christ for the third and final time. And it says, immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, in this verse, in verse 75 here, we see that Peter has realized his failures. He's realized his mistakes. He's realized the depth of his sin. And he weeps bitterly. He doesn't know what else to do. He's broken. He's crushed. And I want us to understand that when left on our own, we would all be like Peter. Peter had more reason to believe, more reason to be confident, more reason to affirm Jesus than anyone else. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 with one kid's lunch. He saw Jesus transfigured on a mountain, showing his divinity before them. He saw Jesus bring people back from the dead. And yet on his own strength, by his own ways, he denies Christ. And when left to our own ways, we will do the exact same thing. And this is why Matthew chapter 27 exists. This is why the cross exists. It's because left on our own, every person will fall short. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And in this moment in Luke's gospel, it tells us that when Peter denied Christ that third time and the rooster crowed, that Jesus made eye contact with Peter. And I don't think that Peter looked at Jesus and he was like, mm -hmm, I told you so, right? This was a moment of love. It was a moment of compassion. It was a moment to say, Peter, you said you were going to die for me, but I'm going to die for you. It was Jesus saying, yes, I'm broken over your sin that you would deny me but also I love you so deeply that I'm going to give my life for you. And this is what Jesus does for each and every one of us. See, the Bible tells us that there are two paths we can take. There's God's path and there's the enemy's path. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says that the enemy's path, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Peter failed to accept the invitation that Christ had, that Christ had offered and so Jesus is going to do the work that Peter couldn't do on his own. And he's going to bring him back into relationship. He's going to offer him forgiveness. He's going to offer him new life. He's going to restore him into relationship and give him a new purpose and a new plan. And we see this after Jesus has risen again in Mark chapter 16. We can flip over to that. The women have gone to the, the, the tomb and they find it empty. Jesus is not there. An angel of the Lord shows up, and this is what he declares to them. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed, sorry. He said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
Go and tell all the guys and make sure you tell Peter. Why? Because Peter's beating himself up right now. Peter's feeling down right now. Peter's broken right now. Peter has seen the weight of his sin and he's seen what he is capable of. And he knows that he is only capable of failure. But God is saying, yes, Peter, on your own, you will fail every time. But I have done the work that you couldn't do. I have paid the price for you. And through my spirit, I will work in you and bring you back into relationship and bring you into new life. And in John chapter 21, we see this interaction between Peter and, and Jesus. They're having breakfast on the beach. Jesus has revealed himself after he has risen from the grave. And it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denied Christ. Three times after, Peter, after Jesus has risen from the grave, he asked Peter, do you love me? Three times he allows Peter to respond, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. And in this way, three times, Jesus is saying, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. You are a new creation. You are restored into relationship with me. Your failures are not greater than my success. While you deserve death, I am giving you life. While you tried to keep your distance, I am pursuing you and pursuing intimacy with you. You were prideful, but I was humble. You didn't believe, but I did it anyways. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And no matter what is in our past, no matter what our brokenness is, no matter what our flaws and failures are, through the blood of Christ, Scripture says you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, and you have been made new and saved to life. But the thing is, is that Peter wasn't just saved from his sin. He wasn't just saved from death and destruction. He was saved to life and a life of meaning and a life of purpose. Three times after Peter said, I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. He's saying, Peter, not only are you forgiven for your mistakes, but I want you to know that I still have a plan for you. You still have a purpose. You have meaning. You have value. You have worth. You are going to be a kingdom builder. I'm still inviting you into the plans I have for this world, for how I'm going to redeem people, restore people, forgive people. You are going to be the light in the world. Peter, you're not disqualified because I qualified you. I paid the price so that you could have a purpose again. And this is what God has in store for each and every one of us. He forgives us from our sins. He saves us from death and destruction. And he saves us to life and life to the full. A life of meaning where he says, now you go and make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples. Go and tell the world the good news. And so church, we have a perfect opportunity this week to rejoice in the grace of God and the gift that he has given to us 
Maybe for some to receive that gift for the very first time by simply praying, God, I confess that I have sinned and I, I admit that you have paid that price for me. I believe that you have paid that price for me. I trust in you and I wanna follow after you. And in doing that, when we have given our lives to Christ, he gives us a new purpose and a new plan. And we can live into that this week as Easter approaches. What a perfect time to invite a neighbor, to invite a friend, to invite a family member and say, hey, grab that, that, that Easter invite uh, that, that you can find on, on your way out and, and make sure that, that you hand that out to someone and say, hey, you're invited to an Easter service. Come and hear the good news about Jesus. Let's live into our purpose. Let's live into our plan. Live into what God has in store for us this week. Now, at that time when Peter was told that he was going to deny Christ, it was during the Last Supper. And once a month, we get to come and take communion together. And this is a time where we remember that in our failures, we are headed towards death and destruction, but Christ paid the ultimate price for us. And so when we come and we receive the elements, we are receiving that promise, that gift of grace of saying, yes, Jesus, you did this for me. Your body for me, your blood that was shed for me. And we give him praise, but we also are declaring that message to one another and to all who would see. And so as you receive communion today, would you remember that yes, on our own, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus paid the price for us. And so we can have life and a life of purpose and a life of meaning through him. And would we be filled up by Christ so that we can go out into the world and to shine his light for all to see. Now, as we take communion today, just a couple of logistical reminders. Uh, first is if you would exit out the left side of your row, on the left side of your row, uh, come down and then you can receive the elements and then you can enter back in on your right-hand side. Um, that's just gonna help everything move in the right direction to make it as smooth as possible. I also wanna remind you that communion is a time for those who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you wanna do that today, right now, then I pray that you would do that and come receive communion. Uh, if you're in here and you're not a follower of Christ and you're just checking things out, praise God, we are so excited that you are with us. Um, I, I just wanna tell you that this is a time where I would encourage you just to observe and, and just to, to see what's happening here because the Bible makes it clear that, that we are to take this time seriously as believers and it's time for us to commune with our Heavenly Father. And so let's make sure that we come with the right hearts, the right minds, the right attitudes as we come and receive communion together. So let me pray and then we'll receive the elements. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that tells us the truth about who you are and what you've done for us. God, I thank you that you have put in your word the example of Peter. The example that really is all of us. That when we try and do things on our own, when we live out of a place of pride, when we keep a distance from you, we are always going to fall short. We are always going to fail. We're going to end up denying you before man. But God, that you give us second chances and third chances and as many opportunities as we need. God, you paid the price for our sins that we never could. And so for that, we give you thanks. You restored us back into relationship with you. And for that, I give you thanks. And you give us a purpose and meaning and I give you thanks for that as well. And so God, I pray that during this time of communion that you would meet with us here, that you would fill us up with your love, with your spirit, with strength, so that we can live the life that you had called us to live. God, apart from you, we are nothing. And so we just pray that everything about us would be fully devoted to you, fully committed to you. 
We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.